The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. God, that you never leave one behind. That last statement right there, Lord God, thank you so much that you don't leave one behind, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. Lord, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that we can gather. We thank you for that privilege. We thank you that we can worship you this morning. In your precious name we pray, amen. Worship team, thank you so, so, so much. Good morning, you guys. Wow, okay, Woo. that was awesome. Okay, I just want to welcome everybody here this morning, and we just have a couple very, very quick announcements. Um, community group has uh, started back up for the year. We have two that meet on Tuesday nights. One is at the Bertels house. Uh, we both start at 6.30. The other one is at our house. If you attend this church and you're not yet in a community group, I am begging you, please come to one of the groups please come check it out because it is really, really hard to get to know people when you are chasing your kids around or we're chasing our kids around on Sunday morning. And um, that we really want to get to know each and every person. And it's hard to do that. And so the way that we are able to do that is Tuesday at community group. So they're at 630. It's always a potluck. So please find one of us, uh, Kyle and Jen in the front row, Andy and I, or really anybody. They know they have the information. It's also on our website. It's on our app on Facebook, lots of places. So that's on Tuesday nights. Wow, it's always me. It's always my fault. It's always me. Um, and then also our offering is the blue box in the back. There's a couple in a different places randomly around the church next to the toilets. No, I'm just kidding. Um, anyway, and so our offer, we don't pass a bucket right now because of COVID. Yay, COVID. We love it. Um, and so it's in the back. There's also many electronic ways to give also. So the instructions are there and there. And so you can do that. Also, kids, it is time if you are not already in your classes. There are classes upstairs for the older kids. And then the nursery is right around the corner. If you need any help with that, there is Gordon in the hallway who can direct you. So it's time, kids, if you're not already dismissed, you can go to class. All right, and I have a giveaway. Every now and then we do a servant spotlight type thing, and we just want to highlight somebody that's doing something uh, to make a big difference. And today, uh, I brought Lifesavers, uh, which, believe me, this was easy to buy, and I almost lost my life trying to get it here because I have teenagers and kids and everything, so I almost didn't make it all the way here, but here we go. And this is for someone who has spent, um, you want to turn me down a little bit? It sounds like it's popping. Uh, this is for someone who has uh, just consistently, quietly in the background, just loved on people, spent their money to serve and to help people, uh, give them rides to and from job interviews, open their home for people to stay there, uh, really just completely lay their life down and sacrifice, not just for one person, two people, three people, but over the last year, year and a half, um, for many people. 
and that is just their heart. So John Ford, come get your lifesavers. And what's that? No, don't give any to Austin. This is bad for dogs, okay? Don't even think about it. So let's give John one more hand. Thank you, John. Uh, you know, God is, God is good, and he always, always uh, is wanting to work through us if we're available. If we're available. God has a purpose and a plan for every single person that's here or that's online with us. God doesn't look over you because he wants to use someone else. God wants to use you, but sometimes we look past him because we're too busy. But if we slow down and listen and open our heart, become uncomfortable, God will use every person here regardless of whether you feel qualified, whether you feel able. It doesn't matter. You bring yourself, and God can use that. He made that. He made you, right? He knows how to use you because he's the one that made it. Amen? Father, as we get into your word, I pray right now that we would— or be able to uh, receive the challenge of it, God, and let it stir our hearts. God, we ask that you would uh, cause our own self-defenses, our own self-justifications, our own way of planning, our own thoughts, Lord, to be, uh, Lord, surrendered to your thoughts and your ways, God, which your word tells us are higher than our ways. Amen. All right, today we're talking about law is greater than grace. So, this is a totally uh, foreign, probably, idea to our current culture and our current generations. We live in a grace culture, right? We live in a grace covenant. We're under the grace of God, the goodness of God, right? The law has been done away with. And so now we just live in grace. Praise God for that. And we're excited. I, I coach basketball for little kids in elementary school. And the first game we had was last week. Stosh was there with me, helping me coach. And I round everybody up after the first quarter, and they all come in. I get them in a huddle, and we had one point. Any basketball fans or players out here? Like, what, is one point good? Okay, pretty obvious, right? Right? One point's not the best. So I get them all together, and I round them up, and I'm like, all right, guys. You're working hard. You're sweating it out. You're tired. I mean, you're going all in. I'm like, are you? I said, look at the scoreboard over there. And they all turn, and then they look back at me, and I go, are you happy with that? And this one kid, yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> and I just stopped, and I looked at him. I'm like, where are your parents? <laughs> we have a conversation. Like, What's going on? I said, why are you happy with that? And he's like, because we did our best. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. Praise God. Praise God. It's good to do our best. But it's good to win sometimes, right? Right? I mean, it, it's good in all of our relationships. Like, boy, you're really kind of a jerk to me right now. I'm doing my best. Be happy. No, we want people not just to do their best. We want people to do right. We want people to win. We want people to, you know, we want to actually have victory. Well, we're Christians. We're not worried about winning. Are you reading my, the Bible that I read? We are more than what? There's some winning in there. There's some winning in there. God wants us to win. He wants us to have victory. Right? And so it's not just, oh, you know, I feel good. I did my best. But God actually wants us to overcome things in the world and even in our own heart and in our own life. So law and grace. Okay, we're going to go to Genesis 1. I'm going through a lot of scripture. We're going to just plow through the word today because we're going to try to get an understanding of his word. Now, I'll tell you this. You cannot possibly cover all of God's word in a Sunday message on any subject. So what this is meant to do 
is to whet your appetite, get your hunger going, so you go back and just study more. Say, man, I want to get into this more. So I'm just praying that that happens for you today as you listen. Okay, Genesis 1. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What is that? That's disorder. There's no laws. There's no nothing. It's just disorder and chaos. Okay, what does God do when he comes into that? In the beginning, this is before sin. This is before the fall of man. This is before Adam and Eve. That in the middle of chaos and disorder, God comes in and brings law and order to everything. Well, not law. Okay, what do we call gravity? Law. God brought law and order into the earth in order to make things work. He separated the light from the dark. He separated the different water from the land and the sea and and the heavens from the earth. And then he creates all of these animals and insects and beings. And he says, what, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. He's creating laws and order and things that take a certain direction because it brings about his will. So law is not just something that God made to try to control people and make us not do bad things. Law is something that God made because it brings blessing and it causes increase. You start pulling those things out, and what happens? The world starts falling apart. Well, I don't think we want gravity today. Well, we wouldn't need new seats. We'd just all float up. But good luck getting home because the doors are down at the bottom. (laughs) Right? Is that God wants us to be able to understand his laws and rules. Here's John chapter 1. Well, what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's talking about Jesus here. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So it's saying that Jesus was there in the beginning and that he was a part of creation. And through him everything was made. And how was everything made? Everything was made with law, structure, order. So, well, Jesus is all grace. He doesn't need laws. He doesn't need order. He doesn't need this. He doesn't... Jesus was there in the beginning making everything, and everything was made with law and order so that it could become something that was fruitful, multiplied, and produced. Jesus is not against the law. So either we are thinking wrong about grace in our current culture, or Jesus is thinking wrong about law and order. One of the two. I'm going to err on the side that maybe... I'm thinking of it wrong. I've been thinking of it wrong. Or our culture's been thinking of it wrong. But Jesus is on the right path, okay? So we're going to go to another verse. Genesis 3, 14 to 15. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts. This is when the serpent deceived Adam and Eve, caused them to sin, tempted them to sin. It says, And you will be on your belly, shall you go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, which is war and anger, fighting, disagreement, I will put a a conflict between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first prophecy in the Bible pointing to Jesus. Sin entered the world, but someone is coming who will bruise their heel by crushing your head. Okay, so he's coming. He's going to have victory. You'll do some damage to him. He'll go through some suffering, but you will be crushed. You will be destroyed. And so this is the first prophecy. So we see that when the law was broken, that's the first time in the Bible that all of a sudden 
Jesus is introduced prophetically. So the law already is becoming a matchmaker to connect us to Jesus, to show us who he is. Matthew 27, 33 is when Jesus is going to the cross, and it actually, they say that he's going to Golgotha. It's the place of the skull. Prophetically, all the way back in Genesis, God is pointing towards the crucifixion, and literally, the name of the hill that Jesus is crucified on is the skull. And we just saw in the verse before that he said, he will come, and you will bruise his heel, and he will bruise your head. He will crush your head. It was prophetic, speaking to Jesus. He's going to come. And there he is. He gets crucified on the school. The cross comes down and ends the work of Satan, and he has victory. Okay? And now we live in grace, right? But the Bible also says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he came, and he crushed the serpent. He won the victory. And now he's all grace. Well, what happened to the old Jesus? What happened to the old God? He never changes. So there must be something still going on with the law somewhere. Something must be happening. So let's take a look at him. We're going to go through the Ten Commandments. And here's two questions to think of as we go through them. Are there benefits if you keep it? And are there consequences if you don't? I'm not talking spiritual. I'm talking about everyday living. In this world. In this life. I'll go through these and just think through each one. Is there a benefit if I live this way? And is there a real world, real life consequence if I don't? Okay? Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. This was God's first commandment. No other gods before me. I'm first. Okay? I'm first. I'm first with your worship. I'm first with your uh, time. I'm first with your affection. I'm first the one that you listen to. I'm the first one that you obey. I'm the first one that you give of your time, your energy, your money to. I'm first before everything else. Is there a benefit to that? There is a benefit to that. I know that before I did the opposite, and there was a God before him, me. And that led me into all kinds of chaos, because me really loves me some me. It really likes it. And so it did everything to please me. Everything to make me feel better. Which caused a lot of other people a lot of hurt and chaos. But when I serve God first, say even with my money, I say, God, here's my money. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to go get another couple tacos and torchies? Because you love me. Come all those who are hungry. He's like, no, I want you to go take care of someone that has a need. Well, I thought you gave me the money to bless me. Well, I gave you the money to bless them through you. All of a sudden, it changes. My time. God, I want to sit home and fall asleep and just chill out tonight. No, I want you to go do that. God, I want to sleep. No, I want you to take this call at 2 a.m. and congratulate someone and encourage them on this new opportunity that they had. Okay, I'm going to do that. But we're giving it to him first. It begins to benefit other people. And in that, the Bible says that those who water others will be watered. Those who refresh others will be refreshed. We start to have the goodness of God come back into our life. And the joy of the Lord come back into our life. Another commandment. Number two. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. This sounds a lot like the first commandment, doesn't it? Have no other gods before you. Now it's like, don't make anything and worship it. Sounds kind of the same. 
Okay, the difference is, in the first commandment, he's just talking about who you serve spiritually, the unseen God. Okay, in the second commandment, he's talking about where we actually make things in our way that we want them to be, and then we attach ourselves to them. The Israelites did it. Moses went up the mountain to talk to God. They couldn't see God, so they made a calf, a golden calf, and began to worship it because something that they could form, something that they could handle and take care of. You don't have to necessarily have a graven, like a a carved-out image to do that. We can do that with God himself. This is how I want God to be. This is the image I'm molding him in. I'm the potter. God's the clay. And God can be and will be whatever I need him to be. And we begin to make an image of what we want God to be like. We throw out the parts, you know, we talk about Christian heritage in the United States. Did you know Thomas Jefferson, one of our founding fathers, that he had a Bible? And you know that Bible is still in the museum? And in his Bible, he cut out everything that he didn't like. And his Bible was much thinner than ours. (laughs) His Bible was the parts that he liked, that he appreciated, that were good, and the rest of it was gone. And you can go look at that in the museum. That is making a, a, a God of our own. That's making an image of our own. That's making things to accommodate us where we become the potter and God becomes the clay. And he's saying, don't do that. I am in charge. I am God. Don't make a calf and don't turn me into something else, but know me for who I am. Number three, it says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Okay, I live with Heidi, my mother-in-law. You have to be extremely careful in how you say God. Very careful. You can't just use that all willy-nilly, run around throwing it out there. Because it's a name of honor, right? It's not a cuss word, it's not a joke, it's not this, it's a name of honor. This is God. Okay, that's one way that we need to use it right What's a benefit in the real world to doing that? If you're trying to shine your light and be a witness to other people, right? It's a lot easier if they think you actually respect and care about the God that you serve, isn't it? And if they, they hear you talking in a way that there's no respect for them, they're like, well, can't be that great. Can't be that powerful. Can't be that honorable. Okay? But also another way that we can misuse God's name is to take his name and put it on actions or activities or things that we want to happen that God has never said he wants to happen. You know, this is happening in Jesus' name. Well, are you sure? I've heard people, man, in Jesus' name, a lot of stuff. And you look and say, that's not one. That's not even in the Bible. So I know God doesn't want that. Okay, two, even if it is, I mean, what, what's the outcome of that? I mean, are you sure God wants you that? I had a cousin. This is a true story. I had a cousin who had five kids. That's not even the scary part, Kyle. (laughs) Kyle looked at me like, ooh. You guys thought I was already getting deep right there. No. He had five kids, and he was married, and he met a lady that had five kids, and she was married. And in Jesus' name, they both heard a word from God that they married the wrong people. And the only way to get back on track with God's plan and purpose of their life, was to leave their spouses and their kids, move to Cuba, get married, and start a church. And that's what they did. That's misusing God's name. 
because that is not what God does. But yet, if I throw his name on it, it's okay. And I've sat with a lot of people. You're talking through something, making some decisions. You're like, man, this is bad for you. This is bad for your family. And they're like, well, I just feel like God told me. That's misusing God's name. God didn't tell you. How do I know that? Because he gave us all the word that we can read together and compare things to. We, can, we have the same instruction manual. You know, I'm not handy. I'm not a construction guy. I start putting something together, and people come out and say, what are you doing? I said, I'm just trying. Because Robert told me to. Robert's, Robert's been my encourager since he got to the church. <laughs> he heard I was bad at all this stuff, building things and making things, and he pulled me aside one day, and he said, now, I know Heidi and Carrie are not confident in you, but you can do it. Just work hard at it. <laughs> Boom. That's right. He added courage to me, which resulted in several different times of having to get contractors out to repair. The thing is that I did courageously. Okay, but we have the same instruction manual, and we go to the same God, which is why the Bible talks about there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. I can go to you, you can come to me, we can sit down and go, okay, well, let's talk about this, think about this now, let's look at God's word and see what he's actually saying. So there is actually real-world benefit to keeping these commandments and consequences if we don't. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you will labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. First, I'll just point out there's a lot of equality there. We're talking about in times where there was rampant slavery, persecution, all of these things. This is Old Testament in the commands of God. But when he says, I want everyone to rest, he includes everyone to rest. Right? Because God loves everyone regardless of what their status is or their situation or gender is, even his animals. And so he says this. Now, this is one we say, well, yeah, but that was in the Old Testament, not the New Testament. We don't have to take a Sabbath anymore. All the days are the same. Okay, is there benefits in your life if you take a day of rest? Is there real-world consequences if you say, that's, I don't need that? Eventually. Right? So the penalty in the Old Testament for breaking the Sabbath or breaking the commandments was death. It was a death penalty. Oh, yeah, we don't have that anymore, do we? What happens if you never take a rest? You work, 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 work seven days a week? What happens to your family? Starts to die, doesn't it? Relationships die, break apart. What happens to your stress level? Goes up, right? What happens to people with high levels of stress? They die. We'll just get to the end of it. They die. That's what's at the end of the book. Stress, anxiety, right? Heart attacks, whatever. They start to move that direction. Our country is chronically overworked, over-anxious, stressed out, over-medicated, and everything else. And if everyone said, you know what, we're going to take a day off. Boy, that would reign in all kinds of sickness and disease and stress and fighting and bitterness and anxiety and all these things would start to come down because they're getting rest. So there's actually real-world consequences and real-world benefits in God's commandments. Number five, honor your father and mother so that you may live long <laughs> in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You may live long. Well, nowadays, you can live long. Parents can't do it as much to you as they could back in the day. 
or people step in. Back in the day, even in my day, my dad, thank you, dad, if you're watching, my dad made sure that I honored my father and mother. <laughs> and sometimes I thought it meant I wasn't going to live very long, but they did. I'll just tell you, I'm going to tell you this, okay, and then ignore this. Bleep this out, don't ever do this, okay? My mom one time, I told her, she said, you're in trouble when your dad gets home, you're going to get it. And I made the mistake of saying, if I'm here when dad gets home. Okay, UFC's been around, what, 10 years? MMA, UFC, what do you think? Art, how long has that been around public, like going big? About that long, my mom was in it before it was in it. <laughs> my mom grabbed both of them. This is no joke. My mom's only this tall, but she's stocky. She grabbed both of my ears, pulled me down the hallway, opened her bedroom door with my face, bam, threw me on the bed, jumped on top of me, straddled me, and just began smacking me back and forth, <laughs> crying, tears falling out of her eyes, wailing, don't ever tell me you're running away from me again, just bashing me, just doing the ground and pound, just working me over, and there was no ref there to stop the action, nobody was pulling her out, I never said that again, um, that's just how she was. Honor your father and mother, you'll live longer, right? There's real world, real world benefits and consequences to these commandments. You shall not murder. That's an obvious one, right? Your life will go better if you don't murder people. I mean, these things aren't rocket science, yet God had to tell people. These things are pretty obvious, but God still has to tell us, right? So once he tells us, the least we could do is listen and say, man, these might have some actual merit in my life. You shall not commit adultery. Well, that's a law. I'm under grace now. I can do what I want. Okay, good luck. If your wife is as tough and mean as my wife can get, man, you, good luck with you. You better stay on the straight and narrow. Number eight, you shall not steal. Okay, don't steal. Don't take things that aren't yours. These are common sense, but God didn't give these commandments to kids. He gave these commandments to adults. Like God's looking down from heaven, he's like, man, these people need help. What do I do? Moses is saying, he's like, well, first of all, tell them to stop stealing. Quit taking things that aren't theirs. Okay, tell, well, tell them not to commit adultery. And that dude over there, he's killing somebody, Moses. Tell him to stop. This is bad. These are the laws of God. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Stop lying. Stop gossiping. Stop saying stuff that's not true. Well, but I was just mad. Stop lying. Stop gossiping. Stop saying stuff that's not true. I lost my temper. Stop. It's against God's law. And there's real world consequences to doing it. Well, but I'm under grace. Okay, but you still lost five friends because you couldn't keep your mouth shut. And because you're rude. And you say things that aren't true. There's real world consequences whether or not you live under grace or not. Okay, this is what happens when God puts commands out there for our benefit. Number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything. Now, here's the funny part. He's listing off some important things back then, right? That'd be like his work truck, you know, his workers, his wife, his family. Don't, don't do all those. And then he's looking down. He can see the conniving, mischievous look in everybody's eyes trying to think of, well, what can we covet? And so he just throws in a little, a little writer at the end, or anything that belongs to anyone else, your neighbor. 
Is there real world benefits to just being content with what you have? Is there real world consequences if you're always looking at somebody else and saying, oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. Well, you don't. You don't. I got a brother that's 6'10". Probably 6'10 and a half. I got a brother that's 6'1 and has arts hair. And when my mom was alive, she used to make us all get pictures together. Okay? You guys are laughing, and that wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> I'm going to need some healing ministry, Sue. <laughs> I'm going to need it. This is what's going on. I go out there, we get pictures, and I'm like, okay, smile. And then when they show that my mom gets them developed, gives them out to us, man, mine goes in the trash. My brother's goes up on the fridge. I'm like, good gosh, man, I got no hair. I'm a little pudgy dude. I was a little overweight back then. <laughs> I'm like, and they're all like, it's crazy. <laughs> There's real world things that happen when we covet. It takes away our joy. It takes away our happiness. It makes us angry and bitter towards people. It brings division. That's what coveting does. That person got this, and I wanted that. Well, that's what it does. We see the little kids. So these are God's laws. So everything that God labels as sin is ultimately harmful to the individual that does it and to someone that it impacts or to the whole fabric of society. That's why God made the law. He made the rules because there's a benefit and there's a harm to yourself, to others, or to society if we break them. Okay? Meanwhile, we live under grace. And yet there's all of these laws that still have some kind of significance. So we're in a new covenant. Covenant of grace. This is Jesus' words. That's why I put them in red, like the old school Bibles. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to what? Abolish the law. So Jesus said, oh, don't think that I've come to abolish the law to wipe it out. Well, isn't that what grace does? Doesn't grace abolish the law? I don't have to listen to that stuff anymore. I can throw up throw all this old stuff away and forget it? Well, I'm just reading Jesus' words. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Well, yeah, because Jesus fulfilled them for us, so now we don't have to. Okay, every mom in here, well, I, your kids come in and say, well, mom did the dishes, so we don't have to. The idea is you're showing how things should be done and you're training how someone should live so that as they look at you as the master, as the leader, they say, you know what, I can do that. I should do that. I should follow in their footsteps because we're the disciples. We are the clay. He's trying to mold us. And so we watch his life and it should change our life. So he wasn't only doing it to fulfill it, to get us out of it. He was doing it to fulfill us, to show us what's possible through the life of his spirit. And through the empowerment of God's grace. Matthew 7, 16 to 17. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Not just their confession, not just their words. I believe in Jesus. I'm saved. Everything's good. I got grace. But by their fruit, by their actions, their activities, what's coming out of their life, how are they living? Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. The way that you live shows whether or not you really 
are in relationship with Jesus. Well, I know, but I said I love Jesus, and I got the grace thing out, and I'm good. The way that you live, the fruit of your life, is how you can identify somebody that's really walking with Jesus. That's not my words. It's right here. It's in red. This is him. Okay, Matthew 13, 27 to 30. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? They went in, they sowed out this thing to make a beautiful crop. But when it actually grew, all these weeds were in there. And they're confused. And they said, where did they come from? Did an enemy do this? Or an enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling the weeds, you may have fruit wheat with them. Let both of them grow up together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Okay, the principle that he's teaching here is when you look at the field of harvest, right, and the harvest is tied biblically to people that come to know Christ, that they become followers of Jesus, that they receive him as their Savior, this is the harvest. As you come into relationship with Jesus, some things will grow up in the field that are good and bear good fruit and are wheat. Some will grow up that are weeds, so true believers that are really following God, and some who are just there for some reason for relationship with others or for some kind of benefit for themselves, but they're not really following God. They're going to grow up, and at some point, you can see in their life, and you look and you go, do you know what? They're not actually living any of this out. I think they might be weeds. And you say, well, it can't be because God hasn't done anything to judge me about it yet, so he must be okay with it. Well, this scripture doesn't say that. This scripture says he's allowing it to go because if he was to yank you out and give you what you deserve or me what I deserve for living a false life, that it might destroy other people around me. And so sometimes he lets that grow together for the benefit of the person that's next to him. Doesn't mean he okays it. Okay, these are heavy words. They're Jesus' words. Okay, this is what we're doing right now, knowing Jesus, knowing him better, understanding who he is. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go ye therefore and teach the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. Other translations say obey all things. Whatever I have commanded you. So he's saying go and obey and live and observe the commands that I've given you. There's a little bit of commands coming back. Yeah, but they're under grace. Jesus' commands were harder. Don't murder. Jesus said don't hate. Don't commit adultery. Jesus said don't lust. A lot of his commands are harder, not easier. And he's saying, go obey the commands that I gave you. He's calling us to something deeper. He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Why? Because to live God's way, he has got to be with us. And so he gives a task. He says, but don't worry, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to empower you through my Holy Spirit. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to make this possible. Hebrews 10, 15 to 16. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. After Jesus, after the cross, after the law has been broken, after we live under grace, is Hebrews. And guess what he says? I will put, this is his new covenant. Okay? This is the new covenant. This is a covenant that we live under. A promise, a covenant, a connection with God, an agreement with God. I will put my laws where? In your hearts. Did he say put them in the trash? No. I'll put them in your heart. 
I'm going to put them in your heart because out of the heart springs all the issues of life. I'm going to help you to want what I want and to love what I love and to want to do what I do. Does that mean you live perfect? No. That's where grace comes in. But he's still calling us to do that and to walk it out. Romans 6, 12 to 23. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies Do not, uh, to, or to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Right? Sin's not ruling your life. Well, I'm in grace now, so I can sin however. It doesn't matter. No, for sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, thank God I'm not under law. I'm free. But the rest of the verse, you are what? Under grace. You are still under something. I'm still under something. You were under the authority of the law, but now you're under the authority of grace. We still submit to God. We still submit our life to God. We still submit our our actions and our thoughts and our emotions and our things and decisions. We still get submitted under God's grace, which God's grace actually points even to a higher level of living, a higher standard, and yet it comes to empower us and to help us to actually achieve it. Romans 5.21 well, I'm sorry, 520, this is my last scripture, and then we're going to close up here. It says, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, so we could see it. Like, okay, this, this is a law, we can see where we're living wrong now. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Praise God, there's more grace. But it doesn't matter now. Well, that's why you keep reading your Bible. Verse of the day is nice, but a lot of time verse of the day misses context of what God's trying to say. Because here's the rest of that verse. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign. Both of those are about authority. They're about rulership. They're about what you're living in and under. Through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Well, more sin, more grace. God's so good. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? And so God's call in our life is to, yes, we have grace and forgiveness, but then it is within that, as God's Spirit comes into our heart, and He starts to write His laws on our heart, is to say, Lord, I couldn't do it before. I couldn't stop being angry and yelling at people. I couldn't stop my addiction. I couldn't stop being rude or selfish or self-centered. I couldn't stop gossiping. I couldn't stop all these things I couldn't stop before. But now, Lord, I'm coming under your grace to follow your ways and allow you to empower me to live a different life than I could live on my own. And why? Because as we've said all the way through this, there's real world benefits and consequences to doing things God's way. John 10.10, the thief comes to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. But he has come, Jesus came to bring life and to bring it more abundantly. We are called to a grace that is a grace that both has authority over our life, empowers us in our life to move forward in what God has called us to do and how he's called us to live. It's not an eraser grace. It just erases everything. God's grace does erase our sin. But for what reason? So that he can write his story on our life. Not so that we can. Amen? Okay, God wants to use us. He wants our good deeds to shine before men so that people can see them and glorify him, right? We live in a world that desperately, desperately, desperately needs to see the difference 
between a true believer that was submitted to Christ and a bunch of people that are proud and arrogant, full of their own opinions, and hypocritical. And I'm not saying that's you. I'm saying let's allow God's grace to work in our life to cause us to shine in a way that brings glory to God because people desperately need it right now. They desperately need it. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you. God, that you are uh, with us, Lord. We ask that you would convict us in our hearts, Lord, and in our minds and our spirit, God, just to live a life that's worthy of our calling, Lord. That's worthy of being, uh, Lord, your children, God. That's worthy, Father, of all the grace that you poured out on us, God. Not that we earn it, but Lord, allow us to live in a way that shows that we honor it so that others can come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, I love you guys. Take that word, go dive in, study on your own. Okay, we can do this with his strength, amen. Visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.